Welcome to State of the 38th. I'm your host, Alex Weissman, here with Leanne Colasiapo. Welcome to the pod. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah. So you are from Denver also. You went to Thomas Jefferson High School? I did. Yeah. So what early on in your life pushed you towards being a journalist? I was actually in high school, as a matter of fact, when I decided to be a, a journalist, a, a junior, um, much as you are. And I uh, was watching a television uh, report, and I saw the um, newscaster um, reporting right from the scene of where something was happening. And I thought, wow, he actually gets to see everything firsthand. He doesn't have it filtered through anybody. And I just remember I was standing in my parents' living room, and I decided right then and there I wanted to be a reporter, and I never looked back. Wow. So. Did you go to school for reporting afterwards? Or? I went to journalism school. I went to Drake University oh, and, okay, and cool. went to their journalism program. So what was that like? like? So back then, was there a lot of excitement towards being a journalist? and? Yeah, there was. There's always been excitement about being a journalist, um, and there was. There was, certainly was back then. I mean, maybe not like in the days right after Watergate when everybody poured into yeah. being a journalist, but there was still a lot of excitement. And and I would say even with everything going on in the industry now, there still is. Um, it's a exciting job. It's different every day. You make a big impact on your community. So, uh, despite the challenges, it was fun then, and it's fun now. Yeah. So your big break sort of happened with the Aurora shooting, right? It was one of the biggest stories. That, well, it was definitely the biggest story um, I ever worked on. Uh, I was already at the Post, and, and I was editing at the Post. I don't know if I would describe it as my big break, but it was certainly um, a major career moment, um, for sure. That story was uh, difficult to report, sad to report, important to report, important to report right. And then ultimately, of course, the Pulitzer's uh, committee recognized us for that. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of people my age, I, I feel like a lot of people, especially in Denver, sort of like we sort of lived in the shadow of like national tragedies like Columbine and 9-11 that we never experienced. And so for me, the Aurora shooting was the first time that I ever really had an interaction with tragedy and with the destruction that people can do to each other and so I thank you for your reporting because I don't know specifically if I read any of your pieces but I was very tuned in as a seventh grader it was really uh it was a pivotal moment in my life so thank you so much interesting when did you hear about it do you uh, remember so it was the day after it happened there was I, I I think it was a was it was it on a Friday night it was a, maybe a Saturday because I had I a swim meet that day I sort of think it was a well, I can't remember for sure. I believe it was into a weekday morning. I, I don't recall that I was uh, that first day was on a was on a weekend. You know, I think it might have been Friday because that's when we had swimming. Mm -hmm. And I just remember I was so I, I was also a really anxious middle schooler, and so I was you know, I was very scared after. But you know, my dad like we saw the movie a week after, and like he told me like we can't let our life be dictated by fear, and that was like really important for me. Um, that was good advice. Yeah. Um, so what was it like? covering that story, what do you have to do as a journalist to sort of like be engaged emotionally, but at the same time do your best to report accurately and fairly? That's a really good question. So I was not reporting at that time. I was editing okay. at that time and I was coordinating our coverage. Though even whether you were out there or in the office, we were um, tied up in the same things. One of my colleagues, a uh, longtime friend, lost his son that night and uh, my colleague was just pretty much had to pull himself out of the out of the coverage because he couldn't separate himself emotionally um, having had a friend sustain such an enormous loss. So 
we recognize, and, and when you're managing in that kind of situation, you recognize that the staff is going to feel traumatized, and you you recognize that, and you make sure you give them time to rest and to be away from it, because if, if hour after hour after hour you're trying to um, watch people who are in so much distress and, and talk to them, and you feel it yourself because it's your community, it becomes very difficult. It's also a good thing. I think it's what makes a, a local paper so special. Um, and it's something that the national media can never do because for when the national media comes in, they come in, they're doing their story, but they're not part of this. They're not, they're not part of this community. They didn't feel it the same way. They don't know somebody who knows somebody who was there. So it, it, it also, I think, informs your reporting, makes you more sensitive and um, more careful. So I'm glad you brought up the strength of a local paper. The Denver Post has been around for a really long time. Did you know when you wanted to be a journalist that that's where you wanted to work? No. I Well, maybe I dreamed of it. I think that when I got hired back here, I was, uh, even when I got hired back here back in 1999 as an assistant city editor, I was pinching myself that it could be real, that I was coming back uh, to work at the paper that I grew up reading, the Denver Post. The Rocky Mountain News was, of course, around at that time, and the, but the Denver Post was the newspaper that was in our household. And so to be actually back working there was unbelievable. And then um, when I became editor, which was right at a year ago, I just kind of stood there in shock, basically, yeah. <laughs> looking out my office window, trying to imagine that I had ended up here. Yeah. So were you there when they took the Rocky Mountain News <laughs> also? Uh, yes. When the, w I was there when the Rocky Mountain News closed. And they were, so when I came, uh, the newspaper war was, uh, was full-fledged going on, and, and it was just a big battle. And then um, we became part of a JOA which uh, stands for Joint Operating Agreement, where we combine business operations, and it was a way to uh, preserve two newspapers in a city. And at that point, so both newspapers um, folded into, into one sort of entity, but the two papers were owned by separate organizations. And that went on for some years until eventually the Rocky Mountain Scripps, which owned the Rocky Mountain News, decided they wanted out, and they tried to sell the news, and there were no buyers, and so they ultimately closed it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I didn't. I don't really remember too much from right. that. I, I remember that the Rocky Mountain News had comics also, and so I was upset that both <laughs> comic pages were not around. Um, <laughs> For a while, we absorbed a lot of their things like comics to try to, but that became unsustainable. But right, <laughs> I completely understand. So I mean, the path of Rocky Mountain News is sort of a path that a lot of local newspapers have followed mm -hmm. in recent years. Why do you think it is that? local news has fallen out of favor? Is it the internet? Is it, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a lot of things. It is partly the internet. Uh, we're, of course, very active on the internet. The problem has been that as more and more people have moved from reading a newspaper that's in paper and delivered at their doorstep to reading online, we have never been able to uh, charge for online readership and, and online advertising at the same rate you charge for uh, it in the actual newspaper, and we have never figured out that balance exactly. So while actually more people read us, because we are online than ever before, millions of people, um, we can't, we don't get as much money off of them as we did from the actual newspaper. So we, had, the whole industry remains, even after all these years, is still grappling with trying to find how to, how to make money off of our digital audience. So what are you guys trying to do to make money off of your digital audience? Well, 
for one thing, we tried to we have we have tried a paywall, and we decided that didn't really um, work out for us. There were so many. We have such a large national worldwide audience, mostly because of the Broncos, that a lot of that news people could get somewhere else. So they didn't actually um, necessarily want to, to pay us. So we dropped that idea, although that has worked for some newspapers. We're sort of trying, going down two paths. One is trying to uh, build um, our audience bigger and bigger and bigger so that um, basically you serve ads. Every time somebody clicks, they get served up an ad, and every time they see an ad, that is money in our pocket, um, just, but just not very much per view. But the larger audience you can get, the more you can monetize that. And the other is just working with um, local advertisers for them to see the benefit of advertising on that site and, and actually paying good money because we're delivering to them a highly educated um, local audience that, that they would want to have. So the way that a lot of people my age get news is on social media, mm -hmm. on Snapchat and Twitter. So what do you guys do to try and improve your social media so that you reach kids that are my age? We spent a lot of time talking about that for sure. So Snapchat is a difficult uh, space for us, although we have worked in it a little bit. But you have to be a really big name to actually have Snapchat. Accept you. Yeah. yeah. So while we will have followers on Snapchat, that doesn't really, that's more of a marketing thing for us because we do worry that people um, of high school and, and, and younger might not even think Denver Post when they're imagining where to look for news. So it's kind of a marketing thing. We um, actually have a person who's in charge of social media for us. That's their entire job, two people really. Their entire job is taking the, what we write and crafting it up and getting it on Twitter and getting it on Facebook and understanding other social media uh, avenues that are out there to try to, to draw in that audience. And, and Facebook is a huge driver of traffic for us, uh, huge. And um, Twitter less so, but a very loyal audience. So we work hard in that and we encourage our staff to also use those, those tools to push out their own material because we know that that's very important. The other thing we have done is create news particularly around entertainment that uh, is particularly appealing to maybe uh, um, people in their 20s hoping that we get them when they're interested in more fun things like where to go eat and where to go out and then that will draw them back in for the heavier stuff. So is that something that is also in response to Denver's development? Do you guys try and reach people that are new to the city? We do, and that's a really good question because that is part of it and I think in this coming year we're going to move even more aggressively toward figuring out things that we can do to help people who are new to this city get to know this city. So, and just to backtrack a little bit, so as the editor, what is your job besides editing and choosing what's on the paper? Do you handle the business aspects also? No, I, I, become, I become familiar with them because of the job, um, but I actually, in a year ago, I really didn't understand a lot of this. I don't, I worry about them because if the business side isn't successful, then I don't have money to spend on reporters, yeah. right? So I fret about it, and I and it is everybody's job to think of ways that we can help the business side. My job is uh, mostly it's very more of a high-level management job. So I will read the big stories, but I don't read everything. I don't edit everything. It would be impossible. There's a whole team of other editors there who help with that. I I do play a big role in deciding what goes on the front page, and then more in setting the 
structure and the idea of what kind of stories we're going to go after. So I would be saying, let's not do so many of this kind of story. Let's do more of this. Or I think we're getting too many crime stories. Let's move into this. Or gosh, uh, charter schools, we haven't written about them in a long time. They're exploding. There's legislation about them. Can somebody, we need to talk about a stories to do about that. that. That would be more my role. Do you find it difficult to balance between more popular sensational stories and more substantive policy-based stories? Yes. I think that we know that some of those fun stories, I call them kind of the cat video stories, which, which I like, but there's many other examples, drive a lot of traffic. They're not what we were put in journalism to do, though. So uh, we will put those out just to give, because we can be fun, and, and it's nice to have to give people a break and not just bombard them all the time with policy stories. We actually structured the newsroom to ensure we didn't go too far down that road so that we have some people who are doing more of those quick fun kind of stories and then um, left, in, left in place a definite beat structure so we have an investigative team, we have somebody who covers City Hall, we have people at the State House and in Washington and, and we have made it clear to them that their job is to do the big exclusive policy-based stories and, and that's our way of making sure we keep our eye on that and don't get, don't spend our time chasing the latest bright shiny object all the time. So what about balancing national stories versus local stories because one of the reasons i started this podcast was because i felt like the only reporting that was doing a very good job of covering local news was the denver post and so i wanted to do the same sort of things you guys were doing but in a way that reaches people on online a little bit more people mm -hmm. my age that aren't involved but want to get involved in politics so how do you guys balance between choosing national and local stories to cover well so we we definitely consider ourselves a local newspaper, and we have a person in Washington, but his job isn't to run after Donald Trump and do whatever Donald Trump has done that day. He's very focused on what's going on in Washington that would resonate in Colorado. So for example, he's spending a lot of time right now on Neil Gorsuch because as the Supreme Court nominee who's from Denver, that's a very, that's a national story with direct local ties. Or he might write a lot about the Environmental Protection Agency, things that, that really connect here. We focus our staff primarily on the issues that are here. Now, that could be a national issue. It often is a national issue that matters here. So like we have a health reporter and he's writing a lot about changes to health insurance because that would affect Coloradans, but it's also a national story. So in that way, we do that. But the bulk of our staff is, is working on things that are happening here in the state and in particular in the metro area. We subscribe to the Associated Press and the Washington Post and, and other news services to provide us national coverage. And then the balance becomes, particularly in the actual newspaper, how do we, like our front page, how much of it should be local and how much should be national and how you strike that. And I generally, in my own mind, think uh, two local stories and one national. Uh, that sometimes changes, though, to three local or um, we almost never would go all national. It would just be strange for the Denver Post not to have anything 1A worthy local, but it could, it, maybe it has happened once in two years. Uh, that's generally how we think that through. So what other, do you read a lot of other newspapers to just see what they're reporting on and see how they're changing in the growing, changing industry? I do. I try to follow the industry closely. I, I follow, I read the New York Times and Washington Post a lot um, to sort of see what they're picking and what they're highlighting and also how they're presenting it. 
what, what, what tricks do they have that I could basically steal that would, um, in, in terms of how they write headlines or how they uh, use social media, that kind of thing. I look more, I look less frequently at the regional papers, but I should look at the more Dallas and Minneapolis and some of those places that are, are very good um, and they no doubt have tricks that we could also use. And the industry has a lot of uh, people who follow it and write about it that I, I keep track of. Have you found it difficult to find young reporters or is there always an ample supply? We, um, we, there is an ample supply. We don't have as much luck as we used to getting a big pool of interns, but the ones we used to have, we do in the summer, but in the fall, maybe less so now that CU doesn't have as robust or clearly defined set of newspaper-driven reporters. That said, um, we get lots of, lots of good applicants, and the folks who do come through the door are just amazing. And the young, the young reporters, now come to it, whereas I had to learn, and people of my generation had to learn how to write for the newspaper, write online, um, tweet out something, take a quick picture. Our younger reporters, it's just natural, it's just native to them. They wouldn't even think about doing it another way. So the, the variety of work that comes with being a reporter in today's market, it's just, it's just, they don't even think twice about it. So what do you look for in applicants that are trying to work at the Denver Post? Like, how do you determine whether someone is, uh, like, could be a good journalist? It's a, we've been doing a lot, we've been doing a lot of hiring lately, so I've had a lot of time to think about that. Well, one, we would mostly prefer they have worked at a smaller newspaper or interned for us. 99% of the time, that would be the, that would be the case. We want some experience coming in the door. But once we have that, we're looking for people who, in the course of the interview, exhibit a lot of natural curiosity, ask a lot of good questions, seem interested in the world around them because that is a really core part of being a, a reporter. We're looking for people who understand really what the job entails. All the things I said earlier about how you've got to be here and there and be, be flexible. We're looking for folks who have a good streak of independence in them but also show the ability to work on a team because that's, that's critical. Uh, to understand how the whole operation works. Those are a few of the, the few of the things. I think that though, I would never hire a person who just didn't show some good sense of natural curiosity. So there were a lot of stories, at least in the news last year, about how the Associated Press is now using robots to mm -hmm. write stories and whatnot. Um, do you think that automation poses a huge threat to journalism, or do you not? No, I don't, because they are using them to write like a weather story which often is pretty robotic. It is actually pretty robotic. And so if you, can, if you can take the fact you have a smaller staff and devote them therefore over to do something that's more important and let artificial intelligence handle some other things, and there's, there's other uses coming up for that in terms of helping uh, figure out what stories people are looking at or feeding out into emails what stories people are interested in. But a robot can't write a lead or a story that makes everybody go, wow, wow, that made me cry or that made me laugh or that was a clever wordplay and, and all of those things. And those are what our people live to do. They don't really get that excited about writing weather a weather story unless it's a really, they've come up with something really clever way to do it. So in addition to the change to more online based 
uh, news. I've seen a transition, or I, I don't, I don't really know. I, I can't say it's a transition because I wasn't alive before the internet was a huge thing. But I seem to notice that there's really a lot of national media consumption and a lot of uh, a lot of people that are buying into what the national story is, as opposed to focusing on local issues. <laughs> what sort of cultural changes do you think need to happen that we can? make people focus more on what's going on at home since it does impact them more? That's a good question. I, uh, I'm not sure of the answer. I know that that, I know though that it's an important nut for us, us to crack. It, it can be, it can be distressing. There was a, a guy elected, you'll see people elected. There was one down in the Springs a couple years ago where he got elected. There was, there was coverage about him and he was kind of crazy. And um, and then after he got elected, and people were saying, "Well, how come we didn't know about this?" And the media didn't report it. Well, the media did report it. You just didn't Pay read it. To it yeah. <laughs> and so, and that people do fail to get so wrapped up in who's running for president. Also important, of course, in Congress and and the Senate, they don't notice anything about who's running for their local school board or their city council or what's happening with their own local tax money. And then when something goes off the rails, um, they think that they think that they were failed by the media when really it was a fail failure to consume. And that becomes where it's tricky in social media where things get passed around. Well, if it doesn't get passed around, a lot of people never see it. So I think that it is incumbent on us, one of the things we're trying to, to crack that a little bit is to just make sure we're writing and presenting that news in a way that's appealing. So that even when it's, when it's about PARA, the um, retirement program for public employees, or about funding roads, that we're not writing it in this dry way that we did 20 years ago. The state legislature is poised to vote on a bill that would um, fund $30 billion in road improvements or whatever it might be that we, we think of, uh, we do it in a more natural voice, more conversational, take a, little, a few risks in the, in, in the way we tell the story, do more Q&As in our storytelling, and part of that is meant to draw people into those stories and, and engage them in local news. So this is something I've been curious about in terms of journalism for a while. How do you get feedback from your readers on which stories they're receiving and which ones they are interested in? There's a lot of ways. We get second by second feedback because we keep in our, in our um, newsroom these monitors, they're all over the room. And they list the top stories on our website at that moment, how many people are on them, whether that number is trending up or trending down, and how long they're spending on the story. So we can actually see that a story that we maybe spent three days on is getting an average of 10 seconds and then we feel bad <laughs> we can see and we can see that so we can see that every night at 6 p.m. into the top of our news uh, the top most searched stories on our site is like TV listings because you know people <laughs> yeah, are getting home yeah. so we can we can monitor all of that uh, we can see that when that when we send out our newsletters we can monitor through that how many what percent of people open them from that, which stories they clicked on, how many people clicked on through. So we have a lot of different analytics that tell us what people are reading. So hypothetically, if there was a story that you thought was very important, mm -hmm. but the data showed that people weren't going to read it, mm -hmm. how would you present that story in a different way to try and get people engaged? So it's um, one thing we can do now is we'll think, 
especially on stories where we are a little worried about that going in, uh, maybe an investigative piece or something like that, we will convene a group of, so of our digital people and editors and maybe five, six, ten people, however many, on a Slack channel or in a room, and we'll actually hash it out. What, what should the headline be? How, what, what should the blurb on Facebook be? What time should we post it? What time should we push it out on Facebook? What kind of tweet should we put with it? We'll actually develop an entire strategy around it. Should we do a text video with it? What should the text video say? All of those things, should we tease it a day ahead of time? We will actually develop an entire strategy around our major projects to try to ensure that they get the right attention. On some stories where we just are a little puzzled, like, well, gosh, that's a really important story and no, nobody read it. We can do A-B testing on the headlines, for example, and throw it out there with two headlines for a little while and see which headline seems to be connecting more and then go and put that one on. So we use strategies like that. Who do you see in the industry is adapting to changes in journalism the best? Who are you trying to model yourself after? I think that most people right now are looking at what the Washington Post is doing. They have, uh, of course, they have advantages that the rest of us don't, which is the ability to hire whoever they want. <laughs> and it kind of seems yeah. to me like whoever they want, whenever they want, however many they want. So we don't get that advantage. But what we can do is look at some of what their tricks are and say that really was smart and, uh, and take advantage of that. What sort of tricks? Um, they were among the first to really start adopting, as a mainstream newspaper, to really start adopting the voicier style, the more less traditional writing style. They were among, in the early days, we used to all be focused on our SEO uh, headlines so that it, it would always read, if I came here, it would be the uh, Leanne Colosiopo visited George Washington High School for, you know, that kind of thing. And they were they kind of pulling off of the places like BuzzFeed that were doing a little more uh, clever headlines and and then we followed pace with we followed that so that now we can do the SEO in a different field but we got um, uh, a system in place where we could also write the more engaging headlines that kind of thing. Do you follow like BuzzFeed and Vox also to see mm -hmm. what they're doing? Yes closely. Try to get ahead of that. Mm -hmm. Do you like that democracy dies in the darkness? <laughs> Yes, I, I love it. It's kind of depressing. Yeah, it is a little bit, but <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty depressing. But I I think sometimes you just got to throw it out there like that. Yeah, I, I wish saw, we would do a little more marketing of that, like that. I saw a tweet that said something to the effect of, "That's the subtitle of the next Batman." Movie. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. That is pretty funny. So these are just a few questions that I ask all my guests. So, what are you reading right now, like bookwise, that you think is important? <laughs> It's not what I'm reading right now isn't very important, but I'll tell you, it's, I'm enjoying it. I'm reading, um, finally, the uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder autobiography oh, um, okay. that took a while to get. And I'm, I read those, of course, all our books as a, as a kid. And so now I'm going through and it's taking forever because it's well footnoted. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much all footnotes. And it's, it's, of course, a fun trip back down memory lane of reading those books. But it's also a great story in history about the migration west and the pioneer spirit and then so I'll adapt my question that I asked my other guests a little bit since you're not involved in politics usually I would ask what would you say to someone who's young that wants to get involved in politics what would you say to someone who's young that wants to get involved in journalism I tell them that not to get discouraged by the news they hear about journalism that I think journalism is going to be here for a long long time I hope forever you know newspapers may not be like they are 
when I entered, there already aren't. But the need to inform people, the need to shift, sift through all the garbage that's out there and distill to the extent we can the truth, and the need to investigate and the need to follow the money and know what's going on and tell people what's really going on, that isn't going to go away. In fact, it's going to become more important as more and more folks are just able to throw out onto the internet anything, whether it's true or not. So I think the function of journalism uh, is on its way up in importance. And so I mostly tell young people not to be discouraged by that and to make sure that they have a good understanding of, of, of what is out there so that they can see how to consume how to consume and ultimately report news. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. You're excellent at oh, it. Nice.